Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short term rental professionals. You are listening to an episode of The Host Show. I'm your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of the show every single Monday. And in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by SDR Legends, the only exclusive mastermind that connects the top CEOs and short-term rental business owners at the most unique travel destinations. So if you're running over 50 short-term rental units or you're managing boutique hotels or you're an investor in the short-term rental space, then we invite you to apply for the mastermind at strlegends.com. We'll get on a call with you to see if the mastermind is a good fit. And if it's a win-win, then we look forward to welcoming you in a couple months at our first live event at an incredible beachfront short-term rental property in Oaxaca, Mexico. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy the show. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your Welcome to podcast number 468 of the Get Paid for Your Pad Show. And uh, today we are talking about how to buy rundown hotels and converting them into Airbnbs with Francisco Arango. He was on the show before episode number 252 back in September 2018, almost four years ago. And then we talked about how to train and manage cleaners. And in that episode, Francisco announced that he was going to buy some old uh, old buildings and turn them into Airbnb. So I'm super excited uh, to welcome him on the show today and, and get his thoughts and his experiences. So he's, uh, he's learned a lot through the process. So Francisco, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Hey, I, I love being back, man. I love hearing your voice. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate that. I listen to it a couple of times a week. Oh no, shit, really? Wow. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I haven't missed an episode since, I don't know, since I first found out about you four years ago or something. All right. Well, maybe even sooner than that, right? Probably five years ago. Yeah, I think we, we started talking. I was just checking our uh, email conversations and the yeah, our first contact was early 2018. So just over uh, four years ago. Yeah, and um, I just... Let you know, you know, I've learned a lot from your episode and that's why I listen to every one of them. There's always, you know, a nugget every, you know, every week or two, I'll get a, a nugget that I hold on to and yeah, build on for sure. So you're doing a good thing, at least for me. All right, man. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate that. And I'm excited to learn from you today because I want to, I want to know all about these, your experience with, you know, buying these buildings and turning them into Airbnbs. I checked out your, your profile and uh, the units looked really good. But before we dive into that, I'd love to start with an introduction. I know you got started in Hawaii, right? You live in Tennessee, but you got started in Hawaii. Is that correct? That is correct. I started off, you know, with one room and then loved it. So then I bought a place in a building in Waikiki and I was like, well, if I'm going to go to this building all the time and clean it, I might as well you know, maybe find another one. So I started doing rental arbitrage in that building. And this was back in 2012 or 2013. It was easy to get them then. So that's kind of, you know, how I started right there. I was just looking at your profile. You've got like 2,300 five-star reviews. Is that since 2012 or do you have have a new profile? Oh, okay. So the one you see right there, that's from the one we started 
two years ago that the building that, you know, we talked about in the episode four years ago. So it's been open for about two years now. I think exactly two years now. But my other profile that, you know, has the properties in Hawaii and then a couple that we have in Gatlinburg, it also has, I think, 2300 or so because I've had it for so dang long. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you're uh, one of the old school hosts. You started around the same time as I did in 2012. So, you know, combining those accounts, you probably have over 5,000 Airbnb reviews, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And I really think that reviews mean a lot to me. And I love reviewing the guests. So we review everybody. I mean, even when I know I'm going to get a bad review, which is probably not the smartest thing to do all the time. But that's how you learn how to improve your product. I mean, I hate to take the feedback sometimes, but it keeps me keeping my product top notch. And, you know, I hate to have uh, a guest with a bad experience. And if I can fix something, you know, I want to fix it. Right on. I read all the reviews, even the private feedback. And I'll even, you know, respond back to the private feedback sometimes. Like, oh, sorry, I totally didn't know that. Get on that. Just so the guests know that, hey, I'm a real, you know, I really care about their, their life and their stay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely really important to review those uh, reviews. We have a system as well for that, where we go into every single guest, they leave us a review, they leave us some private feedback. We go in there and store everything in the in a document we can use for future, uh, future improvements. That feedback loop, definitely really important. So that, see, there's a little nugget. Like, I guess I'll probably have to do that later on, but right now I don't do it. I just fix it immediately, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, That's, uh, it's good to have that system too, because like, we're hiring a virtual assistant right now and, you know, just having that process and the documentation in place makes it really easy for us to pass that off. Yeah. I'm actually in the process of hiring one right now myself. I think that's one of the things that when I talk to Eric, I'm like, Oh, I want to know what you guys are doing. We haven't hired this person yet, but I actually, I got an executive assistant. So this person could help me develop these systems. I mean, just cause I, I don't think I'm that good at sitting there developing a system to do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, or I mean that's not very familiar. Or I just don't want to do it on my. I don't want to do it on my own. How about that? Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds familiar. Like uh, building system is not my favorite thing to do either, and I wouldn't say I'm an expert at it either. But uh, the cool thing about these systems, once you have them, it's like it saves so much time. Well, it seems like Eric just loves it. He just always talking about <laughs> systems. You know, that no, just makes it day. That's a, like a vacation for him to go build some systems. <laughs> Now it's funny. It's funny that we've gotten because we always talk about systems. We we're kind of known in the industry now as as like the systems people. But Eric and I, like when we first started, like we we didn't like systems at all, you know. So we we hired somebody who really is uh, passionate about systems, and we recognized the importance of it. And so we really focused on it. We developed a playbook that you know way to organize all of our systems in one place. So that team members can easily find the documents with, they'll have unique identifiers. But we just recognize the importance of it, you know, where we forced ourselves to really develop that system mindset. And even though it's not fun, it's definitely not my favorite things to do. But sometimes, you know, like you just, you just power through it because you know how important it is and you know, it's going to save you time in the future. Oh yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that that lock setup that we were talking about previously, you know, we had a, yeah. we do have a system for that. And it sounds like you did too. And saved us a lot of sleepless nights. If there's, yeah, you know, for sure. Have a backup system. Yeah. We were uh, sparring a little bit 
on different ways to set up locks and uh, automated door code sending and how it sometimes not you know doesn't always work but you know nothing always works you know so that's all good set up about these motels that you're developing like how many how many units or how many rooms do you currently have because i know you've grown quite a bit yeah so in operation right now it's 34 door doors or keys or whatever you want to call it but we have 37 let's see here plus 12 plus 30 i don't know like 60 or so 80 rooms that are being uh rehab so all our projects we just kind of gut them and redo the building to what i feel is the airbnb standard so we have 35 in operation about 60 or 70 being rehabbed right now you started with these project in in 2018 right when we last talked on the podcast i think that's when we bought the first building maybe September of 2018. And I just didn't, you know, this is not anything that you asked about, but it just took a long time to figure out the financing for it and to find a bank to do it and to find a bank that would understand what the heck we we're doing. And then, then just to do the rehab, this was, you know, took longer and cost more than we really even could imagine. So what are some of the, what are some of the biggest learning lessons going through this? Well, that there's always a solution to the problem. Don't give up. I mean, that's really have a plan, have a vision of what you want. I think would be a great, you know, and which we did, but know that there'll be some dark times, you know, especially if you're doing something kind of new and, you know, risky. So we're, you know, kind of swinging for the, we didn't know we were swinging for the fences, but we we thought we were going to, you know, try to do it like a, a double or, you know, a triple, but it ended up being a home run for us. And it just, it was just so hard to, finish the project and so just have a plan and don't give up and stress out during, don't, don't stress out don't break down when it gets really tough and it looks like there's no end in sight yeah when it comes to you're, you're saying like the financing was was difficult like how did you end up how did you end up finding or financing the the projects okay so through a traditional bank i mean we had bought the property cash so this guy was it was in a kind of a bad area of town so I say we call it, you know, an area that's now starting to gentrify. So we paid $70,000 cash. It was like two buildings on one property. And I didn't see the vision. I, didn't, I, don't, I mean, I had the vision of the business model and that, hey, you could, do, you know, do these different things that like Airbnb wasn't what everybody thinks Airbnb is. But anyway, so once we bought the place, you know, we just had to shop a couple of banks and really the banks really weren't wanting to lend that much in the area that we were in. Cause like I said, it was kind of an underserved area. There was a lot of drugs and crime in that area beforehand. So, you know, we just took whatever they'd give us, which was way less than what was needed really to do the project, but what we thought we could, you know, get it done with. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially just found a local bank that was, you know, willing to lend at least something on it. Yeah. Did the project ended up costing about what you, what you were expecting? Absolutely not. There's two buildings on this pro on this property. So we start off with the first building and we're like, oh, we'll, we'll do like four or five rooms at a time or something like that. And you can't really do it that way with the codes department. Like I didn't know anything about how strict the codes were going to be. I mean, I knew we were in a, a short-term rental area that it would be fine. I was already okay with that. But this, the, the codes on such a big project, you know, we had to have engineer stamps and all these other things. So Originally, the guy that sold it to us was an architect, 
he said, oh, just put about three to $5,000 per room in there. All right. So that's like, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe he's off by half. So $100,000. And then we start having some subs come out there and look at things. And they're like, oh, yeah, so this is going to be like $20,000 per room. So now we're at $200,000 for the, the first building. Then I got a GC out there. And they're like, oh, well, you're looking at $300,000 for a building. So they're always, it just keeps on going up higher and higher. So eventually we settled on this one GC that was like, yeah, I'll do it for cost plus, which I love cost plus now. And I'm glad we went this route, but like whatever it costs, you know, we'll charge, I think it was 12% or 15% on top of, I can't remember the exact number, maybe it was 10. And I said, all right, so let's do this. So they, they started doing this thing, but it ended up at the end of the day being $50,000 a room. And the bank had only loaned us enough for about 30000 a room. So we had to come up with 200000 you know, during this process. Now, I was making some profits in my business in Hawaii still, so that, that helped out. But, yeah, we ended up spending $50,000 a room. And, you know, we had credit cards, cash. I think I borrowed some money from – no, I didn't borrow any money from friends and family, I don't think, on this one. Yeah, but a lot of credit cards some EIDO money that came in. Like it came in, we were finishing right around the time COVID hit. So it was a curse and a blessing. My business in Hawaii shut down, but I got the EIDO money. So I was able to use that EIDO money to open up five rooms. So we were going to get five rooms done. And, and the city was like, okay, we'll give you a, a permit for five rooms, an occupancy permit for five rooms. And, you know, we just were able to finish that way, just like right in time. I mean, right when all the COVID, I mean, right when all my credit card, debts were about to come due i refinanced it with another bank they came by and like hey we love your project so i refinanced enough so i was able to pay them all off right at the time when all my credit card like zero interest payments were due so then once we got started with that project now i wanted to like give you an idea of how hard it was to find money i mean me and my wife like waking up every morning figuring out what credit cards would lend us money how could we could go borrow money i mean it was like i don't think we're gonna be able to finish this project kind of thing. And it's like every day my wife cashed out her retirement. I cashed out all my stuff too, to fund this. Yeah. And then, like I said, the credit cards, zero interest credit cards, we maxed out. And then we get the EIDO number, number would finally put us over the edge. And then once we started seeing how much money this thing was making, it wasn't that hard to go and get some money for the next project, which was the yeah. second building on the property, you know, because they would get a higher, you know, show some proof of income and, we started like five months later or six months after we got all 10 units up and running. But still, that ended up not being enough because what we ended up doing, now this particular property, the second building was on the historic registry. So we had to, we had to like hire an architect and do some different things to qualify for the tax credits. But this next building, we spent $80,000 a room. And these are not with furnishings. Usually it costs like $12,000 or $10,000 a room with furnishings. So there's extra you know, money there. But it's easier to pay for those with credit cards. Anyhow, yeah, so it cost us $80,000 a room. But we were willing to spend more because we saw the amount of profit we were making on our first building. And once again, you know, I had to go deep into credit cards and high interest loans like Blue Vine and zero interest credit cards and credit cards in general. But we finished it and it, you know, there was like no turning back on this. Oh, I, yes. And we also borrowed from family this time because it was like getting way out of control because we spent 850000 on it on the rehab portion for nine rooms. So it's over, you know, 90,000 rooms. 
but I knew how much money we'd make on it. So I was like, throw the sink at it. Let's just, let's get it done. And let's make these things nice, nicer than the first ones. So, you know, once again, the bank at the very last minute, you know, we did a refinance on the property and all my credit cards and zero interest credit cards and blue vine, the 30% interest on that thing was all coming due. And we cashed out on it and, you know, paid some interest, some high interest, but got the refinance on it and we could show some numbers and basically cashed out and was able to just turn it all into a bank note. Yeah. So you're saying like your first project, you spent about 50,000 per room for the renovations. The second one was uh, almost double that. You mentioned, you know, 850 for nine rooms. So almost a hundred thousand. What kind of revenues are you getting from those, from those rooms? So the first 10 rooms, I believe we're averaging about $2,000 a month on revenue per room. So I think we had 360,000 from the first building per year. And the second building is, you know, they're nicer units. We're getting a lot higher nightly rates. So we're at about 360 also that we're going to average. You know, we've been operating for five months with the new building. And I think we've been averaging. So in total, we're all 19 units in that particular you know, property, close to 45,000 a month. And, you know, and we haven't even entered the, the high season yet. So yeah. now that I've refactored everything in, I think we plan to make right around seven hundred dollars to $750,000 a year in, um, in revenue. And then our margins after we pay our mortgage, so our net operating income ends up being about half of that. So Wow, that's pretty, pretty those, those, those are good numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so that's, uh, it was kind of easy for me to, to jump onto another project, the bank sees that. So there, I've been, uh, you know, the, the bank that we were using, we still use. And, you know, they're, I'm looked at as a good loan because, you know, I have to give them my, my financials every month. So, you know, we, we already started on another project with that bank. And uh, we'll actually use a different bank, but it was only because of timing issues, but it was still yeah. a local bank on another project there. And then, you know, I showed my, one investor that I liked, you know, what we we're doing, I, you know, exposed my numbers and our process. So me and him went and bought two more buildings. Now I've gotten my in-law, my in-laws in on this thing. So my sister-in-law went and bought 37 unit building. So yeah, the numbers have been good. And what I like about the numbers is I'm kind of pretty cheap. You know, it's just the, the business model runs so nice that I'm not too concerned about a down tick in the economy because I got a lot of cushion there still, and I'm still one of the mm-hmm. lowest price places out there. And I, yes. and I provide a quality product. Product. Yeah, yeah. Because I was looking, I was looking at your uh, your listings, and a lot of them are around the sixty to a hundred dollars per night. Yeah, I mean, um, and it's pretty affordable. Okay. But the the rooms look really nice, though. The you know the design and and the way the pictures they all look really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, so right now it's sixty to hundred bucks, but because this has kind of been the low time of year, and during the summer months we'll get one hundred fifty to two hundred fifty dollars a night, you know, right. on weekend nights, and then a hundred dollars on the weekday nights. Yeah, we're we're super variable on our pricing, so that's one thing that I think has been a key to our success is uh, we're low on the weekdays and high on the weekend. Lower than I feel comfortable doing, but higher than I feel comfortable doing. And a lot of hotels and motels, like, you know, branded places, they can't do that. And I think, not that they can't do that, I believe they won't do that because here's what I think might be a nugget for everybody out there. Airbnb, you can go that low and still get a quality guest. 
a hotel or motel, I don't think you can go that low and still get a quality guest because mm-hmm. there's this, this, this trail with everybody, you know, on Airbnb. I think you get a little bit more of a community aspect. So, yeah, every now and then I've had some, you know, people that I would say had bad intentions, but it's pretty rare for the most part. Even, you know, when I'm doing $50 a night or, you know, I've done $40 a night places. Well, when you add the cleaning fee, it's, you know, into being like 70, that's, I've got, you know, I've gotten great guests. I would say, Sometimes, you know, it is a little true. The cheaper the guest, the more they complain. And the more the more they pay, the less they complain. But that isn't a thing that I we go lower than I think we should go. And we go higher than I think we should go. So I have yeah. a third party again. Look. Well, you know, like what I what I notice first when I look at your listings is like, so yeah, the amount of reviews and they're all five star. Right. So I know a lot of people are worried about like lowering when there's lower demand, like really lowering their prices. But your strategy is like, hey, let's just fill up my rooms. Let's just get those reviews going. You know, let's let's just get people through the doors. And if there's a, you know, if there's an annoying guest every now and then, like we'll deal with it. But as a result, like your listings really stand out because the because the amount of five star reviews. I mean, I'm looking at one that has 224 five star reviews. You know, for this for this one studio, that's a lot. You know, that really stands out. Yeah, I think that's. One of the keys to why people enjoy purchasing or renting rooms on Airbnb, I review every guest, even the ones that I know we're going to get a bad review from. I put it out there, and if I have to, I'll just go and you know reply to it. And I, I mean, I read all we read all the reviews. I mean, you know, if they're super long, and like you can just hear a bunch of good stuff, and they're not, you know, we don't really, I don't, I can't read the whole entire thing, but. The short ones are, you know, to the point and tell me like what I did wrong. Then we, we try to go and fix. But usually you kind of already know that even through the conversations. But okay, so back to my point about why I think these reviews are more valuable than what people give them credit for. I think that's why Airbnb is so popular is you get real live up to date reviews on what the place is really like. And I think it must take a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs making in the Airbnb game is that they think that a kitchen, like people rent Airbnbs because of kitchens. And I used to believe that too until I was in Hawaii. So this is a while back. And I had two rentals under arbitrage that were, had no kitchens. They were uh, 188 square feet. It was just a room. So it was a basically, it was in an old hotel room. They call it condo hotels. And nobody complained about it being in a, in a building that was called a hotel. It was a room with no kitchen, no nothing. You had a microwave. Now we do Airbnb it up. And I think that's important to show that detail that you care about the guest. I'm like, you know, a branded hotel, which I don't think shows no detail and, and no love for the guests. But Airbnbs aren't popular because of the kitchens. How about that? I'll just tell you that right there. Airbnbs are popular for other reasons. And I don't know exactly what it is. I think it has something to do with the reviews and the ease of use and that there's just a lot of supply on there. I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I think this could be valuable to some people. Like when I was traveling last year, me and my dad went to like hit some parks up in the West area. And I was trying to get out. This is during COVID. So I was trying to get places to stay or towards the end of COVID. I was trying to get places to stay and all the Airbnbs were taken up or there was no Airbnb showing live. So I had to go through hotels and it was kind of a pain in the butt going through hotels. Really? You got to click on so many different links, you know, cause you, you're using Google to go there or, or whatever you use Bing. And then you got to go, you know, through their little software and they'll tell you what's available, but then you got to go access to their website and then you got to go enter your code and your name and info and on that on your website. And it just ends up being a, you know, a real cluster of different things you got to do when, you know, had there been 
Airbnbs, which usually there are Airbnbs, so maybe they're shut down because of COVID or just totally booked. But it's just nice having your, your all your information right there. You know you're going to find a quality product in there. There's usually unlimited, you know, a ton of supply in there. So you're not going from platform to platform. You can just book it all right there. It makes it so much easier for me. I mean, I, I dread going to, you know, I get lazier and lazier, I guess. The less times I have to hit buttons, the better. I just love going to Airbnb and just, you know, there's thousands of rooms on there. There's always a place that's available. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a trend that people... People want fewer action steps in order to achieve a certain result, right? So we, we're getting used to more and more convenience where it's just like, hey, click on the button and you book your room, right? Yeah, and, and you, you have an arbitrator there in between you and the guest. Obviously, I'm, I'm on social media or Facebook and stuff and I hear people complaining about Airbnb, but I love them. You know, I love that having that mediator right there to help me. To, it sort of protects me from the guest. It also protects the guest from bad hosts. You know, I think guests know that too. I mean, maybe they're not saying that. A lot of times you don't know why you buy something, but there's something about Airbnb that keeps me going back as a, as a consumer, as a user. I want to talk a little bit more about the current projects that you're, that you're working on. Because as, as you know, like we're also in the process of, you know, kind of planning some renovations on, on our, our own cabins in, in Idlewild. And what we're noticing is like, it's like right now, like materials are really expensive. Contractors are hard to find very expensive, like everything seems to be so backed up. Is that what you're experiencing as well with your current projects? Slightly. I was lucky or fortunate or, you know, I found, so we have a, a project going on in Bangor, Maine, a 37 unit building that's on the historic registry. And I found a contractor rather quickly and he was able to start rather quickly. And he was a, a reputable contractor. Now, maybe it was timing issue. I mean, now if you go try to book him, well, you're not going to get him because you know, I know he's wrapping up one project and working on ours at the same time. Now, I have a project in Massachusetts in Great Barrington. Okay, so number one, there's a lot of different hoops to jump through there. Like I had to hire an architect, even though we're not moving any walls around or anything like that, and get permitting and all this different permitting stuff that was going on there. But I have found it difficult to find contractors that can move faster. Now, I did find a contractor, one of the first ones I, I met up with there, with there and I got re- references from architects about him so he's supposed to start in mid-may so it's not as bad as what you guys are having over there but one thing i kind of like doing is i like going through architects first and seeing because a lot of my projects require an architect so i'll go to an architect find out who they like working with and you know they know people now your job might not need an architect or maybe it does i don't know but maybe it's good to go you know start at the top and then work your way down instead of you know start with contractors and in hot springs where we have our other property like i've been using a contractor there over and over so he knows i'm always gonna have a project so he's kind of always you know ready so and he's got different subs and the subs know me and they know the checks are coming on time you know one thing i don't do is you know i don't negotiate like they give me a price i pay the price because i trust these people and you know i want to see them do well too i don't want to see them not making money not being able to take vacation so i always you know i feel like i i try to pay as top as I can. So, you know, maybe I have that reputation of like, I'm not going to nickel and dime anybody. Well, let's spread the wealth around. You know, I haven't had that issue yet, but you know, neither one of these areas are as remote as Idlewild is, right? That's where it's at, Idlewild. So it, it could be a different story, you know, if I was in something that remote. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good, man. Glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I found one guy on, um, 
that design website, I forget the name of it. It's kind of a popular design website. Yeah, that's way I found one guy, but I also made sure he was referred to by the architect that I'm going to use. Because if you have an architect that never worked with a, a general contractor, it can be a nightmare. So you kind of want to make sure that they can be on the same page. One of those projects I did in, in Hot Springs, the last one that was on the historic registry, you know, the, the architect and the GC just didn't see eye to eye, you know, even though they're probably both right in their own way. But, you know, hearing that one person, oh, you're not doing that right. I am doing it right. I'm just going to do it a little bit later on. It's like, you know, it's like getting two different developers to give you, a, I mean, if you, you know anything about websites or whatever, you know, every developer's got a different way of developing something. And they're all going to tell you the other guys, you know, way off his rocker. It's like, I didn't like that friction. And so I hired an architect. So, you know, I like it. So I love my contractor. So I hired an architect that he was familiar with and been working with. So that time I kind of went upward. So anyway, that, there's a little tip there. Make sure the architect in, in your contract, you know, you can find contracts through architects, but make sure, make sure that they can work together. Yeah, that's a good tip. Lastly, I want to I want to talk a, a little bit about the mastermind. You you joined our uh, I'm wearing my SCR Legends mastermind shirt, the original one for this occasion. Um, I hope I get a hoodie you, one. Am I going to get a hoodie one? <laughs> uh, we could put that we could put that on the list of requests, you know, for goodies and stuff. Um, All right. Why did you join the mastermind? You know, I like what you guys are doing. I've I've learned something from you guys for a while. You helped point my ship in the right direction a couple of times. You know, little small nuggets here and there. So just in that aspect, hey, I kind of, you know, like to, you know, pay you guys back somewhat. But the main thing would be just, it seems like there's other people out there that are, you know, doing more scalable projects. So I I feel like if if you're one of those short-term rental operators that have like 50 units spread out across the U.S., that's more difficult than what I'm doing, I think. And I could really learn something about how to, you know, simplify my, you know, make my operation you know, run smoother and, and better. I think I can learn a lot from people who are doing short, remote short-term rental operations. You know, you know, my projects right now, they're kind of easy to run because I have a point person on each project and it's usually my, my clean. You know, I, I don't want to call them cleaners because they, they do more than that. They're my manager, they're everything, but they also clean. So they kind of been handling everything and make life pretty easy for us. And so that doesn't mean I'm going to abandon that method. It's just that Maybe I could help make their life a little easier too about, you know, incorporating some of the things I'm learning from you guys at this method, at this mastermind. And just talking to other people that are, you know, doing neat stuff is, you know, cool. And, and maybe I might find somebody who wants to, you know, do something with us or I can help out, you know, help them do, you know, do their thing. You know, I don't necessarily want to be an investor in anybody else's project just because, you know, I got so many things of mine and I don't really want any new investors because I got a great partner, you know, when I need money, you know, just help make the Airbnb ecosystem or short-term rental ecosystem a little better and just, you know, learn, like I said, learn from the people there. I, I guarantee there'll be people doing some cool stuff there that I can take some nuggets from. And I want to, I want to dial in my system a little better. I want to utilize my executive assistant that I hired, see what they can tell me about things to watch out for, what things to do. Yeah. I want to build a culture in my business. That's a lot mm-hmm. like Starbucks or like Whole Foods. Like no matter where you go, Starbucks got nice people working there and they're friendly. It's amazing how they do that. You know, like you go to Whole Foods, friendly, amazing. They're not like, you know, it seems like they're never really at a shortage for great workers either. Like I just can't, I mean, I can't believe how they do that. And I just want to be able to, be able to do that in my business too. I want my, my assistant to help me implement that, that culture. 
even though a lot of our work is digital, it's not face to face. You can still implement that culture, you know, digitally and they can see it that, oh, attentive person, you know, they're not robots. They have, they can make decisions on their own and I'm paying them great. And this isn't a business about just making myself wealthy. It's a business, you know, that's supposed to be good for the community. That's supposed to be good for the people in the area. And, and hopefully I'll make some money. Right. But I want everybody's life that my business touches to be better. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Do you have any like core values right now in your, in your team? Well, I've been thinking of things that I want to like put down, but I haven't done much more than think about them. You know, I want to, like I said earlier, I want people to make decisions on their own. I want to, I want to provide a workplace that empowers people to use their brain. I think people love doing that, you know, responsibilities and make decisions. And if they're wrong, you know, they make a mistake, they learn from them. So I don't want to be too process oriented. I want to give that flexibility. I want to make sure that every business, you know, every location that we open up is good for the community. You know, it helps make the community better. You know, I don't extract more profit or more value than I'm given to that area. I want to make sure that the people that help me, I know it's not cleaner, but just our cleaner slash manager, their lives are better when, and fulfilled. And the people that, that they hire, it becomes better for them. And, you know, uh, so I said the community, I said the people that I work with, and then, oh, and then the guests that they felt felt like they got appreciated. So the, I guess some sort of something that encompasses that, I don't want to put together in words. I just haven't figured it out yet. You know? Yeah. No, I hear you, man. I totally agree. Like culture is really important. And also, you know, giving back to the community and uh, just being a source of positivity in your marketplace. Right. I think that's really important as well. And that's something that I think most of our members in the mastermind align on is having, you know, have the why, the why behind the business, right? It's not just about like putting dollars in your pocket. It's about a lot more than that. So I think there's going to be a lot of conversations around that in our, at our event that you'll enjoy for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I want to put out there, like capitalism to me is on a spectrum. It's not, and it's got a bad rap. I think even capitalists give it a bad rap. Like, oh, it's about profit maximal, maximalization. And it's really not. That's just something, some dude made up like oh it's about profit maximum no it's not it's, it's about creating a product and you don't need to always take as much money as you can get from the employee you can pay the employee more than they ask for and i've done that before like hey how much oh you know i think it said 20 bucks and i was like oh dude you know at least 25 you know like no way yeah we can do this you know i know one cleaner we hired she was making like 15 or 25 bucks a clean and we raised it to 75 70 bucks a clean you know, like this is going to be the new product. Like this is the standard, we, but you're handling, you know, you're not doing more hours, but you're not just there to clean now. You're, you're thinking you're offering ideas. So anyway, I just, you know, I feel like there should be a, a hashtag out there called woke capitalism, where you're not just trying to raise your bank yeah. account. You're, you're there for more, you know, great reasons. And there's a book out there. I know you, you guys like reading books. I know Eric likes reading books. He always talks about it. The infinite game. And I think everybody could read that and make themselves, you know, infinitely happier and always with something going on. And it talks a lot about a different form of capitalism out there that was kind of the original intention of capitalism. It kind of got hijacked by, you know, these philosophers or whatever that changed capitalism, <laughs> you know, being all about making as much money as possible. One of the mentors who's uh, who's been in our, who's contributed to our mastermind, uh, Chip Conley, he calls it uh, karma capitalism. Not quite. Oh, yeah. Word. yeah. Right, right. That's great right there, you know? Yeah. So 
like one of the things I always do is, you know, capitalism is a skill too. And just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean you can't learn the skill of capitalism. I don't think you can learn it in college, but I think you can learn it, you know, with mentors in your life. And I just always like to recognize that, like somebody doesn't have as much as I got. Well, doesn't mean they even want to do capitalism, you know, they enjoy being a waiter. Well, I just love, you know, tipping great for waiters because I just love having a great waiter and, you know, spreading the wealth around. So, I don't know, that was a little bit some of the, some of the things I think about on a, as far as capitalism goes and, and wealth distribution. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Food for, uh, food for thought. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more uh, in Mexico when we get together for our first life event. Yeah. So. I get, okay. I'll say one thing. I think wealth disproportionately goes to people who are skilled at capitalism and entrepreneurship. So I just, I want to keep that in mind and always try to give back. Sweet, man. Love that. All right, man. Well, we could talk for hours, but uh, we got to wrap up this this podcast. But it was uh, it was super cool to have you on for the second time. First time was in uh, September 2018. So for those who want to re-listen to that podcast, uh, that was episode number 252. Thanks for being on the show, man. And excited to uh, to meet you in person in uh, in June in Mexico with our other Mastermind members. And yeah, for the listeners, uh, thank you for listening, of course. And we'll be back on Friday with another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. And good luck to you and Eric, man. I hope you guys do great at your auto wild and 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 you get paid for your pad and the overnight success. So I know it's a lot of stuff you guys are dealing with, but I love hearing how well it goes. Appreciate that, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. And take cool. care. Take care now. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building a short-term rental business, then go ahead and subscribe to our daily email newsletter at getpaidforyourpad.com. And if you're just starting out on Airbnb, make sure to download our free Airbnb starter guide at getpaidforyourpad.com forward slash get started if you enjoy this podcast make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and please leave us a review on apple podcast for a chance to win lifetime access to the short-term rental profit academy our starter course for anybody who wants to start an airbnb business every month we select one random reviewer and give that person access to the course Um, So if you want to have a chance to win access to the course, uh, please leave us a review and then uh, you might uh, join our program pretty soon. So thank you for listening. Check back every Monday for a new episode of The Host Show and every Friday for an episode of SDR Conversations of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.